Once I stood in the night with my head. Hold on. Brother Josh really messing up now. <laughs> but there it is. Thank you for playing it finally. Oh. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be and my heart felt alone and i cried oh lord don't hide your face from me hold my hand all the way every to call my own, but I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every That's good. Amen. Let's take our Bible, turn over, if you would, to, well, I'll tell you what, let's find out where I want you to go here. Make it 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're just going to go right there, but as you're turning there to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've been addressing and dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit over these last weeks, and it's part of our Bible Truth series, and... Um, We've asked a number of questions about the Holy Spirit. We've said, well, what part did the Holy Spirit play in creation? What part did the Holy Spirit play in the Old Testament overall? 
What part did the Holy Spirit play during the incarnation of Christ? We said, what part does the Holy Spirit play in the dispensation of grace? And we said, what part does the Holy Spirit play in the church? And then we finally asked uh, just a week ago or so, a couple weeks ago, what part does the Holy Spirit play in the world? And so tonight, we're going to continue with that study, and basically, we're going to end the Holy Spirit study, and we'll get into something else along the way, but we're going to ask the question, what part does the Holy Spirit play during the tribulation? And I'm hoping to get to what part does the Holy Spirit play in the millennium as well. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll continue. Father, bless us now. We need you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We do ask, Lord, that you would just meet our needs tonight as we go to your word. We pray, Father, that you would enable us to glean what we need to glean, that we may grow as you intend. Again, Father, we recognize that without you we can do nothing. So I come to you tonight asking that you would speak to me and allow me to be a blessing to these thy people. Lord, may you just guide my tongue and fill me with your Holy Ghost. Just fill this place with your spirit and may we hear with listening ears and with spiritual ears, Lord, that we might again glean what you'd have for us. Now, Father, we desperately need you. We are a needy people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, the tribulation, of course, is going to take place between the rapture and the revelation. Now, you pretty much know that. We've talked about that a number of times, but we know that during the church age, uh, the Holy Spirit is with uh, the church. And then, of course, we know that the Bible tells us that we're going to be caught up. We're going to be taken out, the rapture. And then there's a tribulation period that takes place, and then there's the the revelation where Jesus Christ himself returns. In this particular case, he returns in the clouds, but he never reaches the earth. That's the rapture. And in this case, he actually returns and is now going to be on earth. That's the revelation. And so the the portion of time we're talking about, the tribulation, takes place between those two major events. Now, the Holy Spirit will have to return back to heaven when the body of Christ, the church, leaves. He's going back with the church. And that's where we're at in 2 Thessalonians. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 5. And uh, we're going to read a couple of verses there, but notice what it says here in this particular passage. It says, <clears throat> Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now again, we have this passage here, and we see that something is taking place. So the mystery of iniquity he says, doth already work. And I'm just going to kind of move quickly through all of this, but the truth is, is that when he starts talking about the mystery of iniquity, he's talking about basically the culmination of of the devil or Satan's Superman, which is Antichrist. 
And we're going to see here that, that the only thing holding back the evil and the only thing keeping the Antichrist from coming to power and ultimately reigning on earth is the Holy Spirit. And when the church is raptured out, the Holy Spirit will go with the church. So therefore, when that happens, it's rough. Now, I was reading about and looking up a little bit about the Johnstown flood of 1889. There was a dam. It was about 14 miles upriver from that particular town. It had burst at 3.15 in the afternoon and released 20 million tons of water into the valley below. Just preceding its impact, the noise of fear could be heard as the sound of screams and cries and people running, bells ringing, steam engine whistles blowing echoed in the valley. Now, the danger that had been ignored for a number of years, realized it could have been a possibility that it could at one time happen, but Everybody basically ignored it for so long, but now it was on the way. A 30-foot-high wall or wave collected nearly everything in its pathway. Get this, 33 locomotives, 50 miles of railroad track, 200,000 pounds of steel cable, and hundreds of smashed buildings. Just 10 minutes, in just 10 minutes, the wave had passed. Nearly the whole town, all of its landmarks were washed away in what was once called Johnstown was no more. Now it's still there today. It had to be all completely rebuilt. Let me tell you something. That is exactly how the Holy Spirit is in our, day, our dispensation today. He is literally... He acts as a dam holding back the tide of evil that will one day crush any remaining good and set the stage for the Antichrist's rise to power. He's like that dam that held back that water all those years. But the moment that gave way, everything ended the way. Everything that they knew was no longer. And I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit leaves the earth, There'll be nothing familiar about this. It's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. As a result of the Holy Spirit returning to heaven with the church again, the world will be left without the presence of the Holy Spirit. It'll be left without the salt of the earth, you and I. Matthew chapter 5 or 13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Again, seeing that the salt is gone, seeing that pure Christianity no longer exists on the earth, that the Holy Spirit himself has now transported to heaven, been removed from the earth, the earth's moral rottenness will ultimately just continue to rapidly move in the wrong direction. There's a statement I read that it says it will rapidly develop into a state of putrefaction. That's an interesting word, isn't it? And it says the only thing that's going to stop that putrefaction, putrefaction, yes, putrefaction, putrefaction. You know what I'm talking about, all right? 
uh, it'll, everything will be butchered up about as bad as I'm doing to that word right now until the Lord stops it, okay? Now, <clears throat> still, even though that's the case, we read in the Scriptures, turn if you would to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read that during that same period of time, however, there's going to be a great multitude of people that are saved. They're going to be saved out of all nations and all kindreds and people throughout and, and all kinds of tongues. And, and notice what it says, Revelation chapter 7. Beginning in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who had sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood about round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever wondered why he asked the question and then answers it? You ever wonder why? It just kind of hit me. I thought about this. You know, sometimes when I'm dealing with people, sometimes I'll ask a question to see if they think they already know the answer because if they think they know the answer, I can't teach them anything. I wonder sometimes if he thought, you know. No, I don't. You know. I'm coming to you and asking you, or I wouldn't be here. You get what I'm saying? You never knew that with your kids, right? They think they know everything? Okay. Anyway, I think there's something to that, maybe. I have to maybe check into that a little bit more. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. That's interesting too because the sun will be that the heat of the sun will be heightened, the light will be brightened, it'll be hotter than ever during the tribulation. Verse 17, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into everlasting fountains of water, waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Boy, that sounds good. Again, we have this passage and we have this great multitude being saved. And yet the Holy Spirit went back with the church. How in the world are they going to get saved then? Well, the Holy Spirit's still going to have a part in their salvation. He's going to regenerate them. But their salvation will be a little different. It'll be individual. There won't be like we're at it or we're included in the body of Christ. We're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We become part of a whole. They're going to be saved individually. And we're going to see that in the tribulation. So the Holy Spirit, although he's not necessarily on earth, he'll be doing this work in every individual heart. Remember in the passage where we see, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. 
And we say, well, that's actually doctrinally the church, and it is. But there's also an element there where God listens to the individual heart, and he says, listen, I may not be able to come into the church, but I'll come into your heart if you'll let me. And during the tribulation period, although the church itself won't be there and the body of Christ will already have been raptured out, the fact is the Holy Spirit of God will be listening for those who are calling on the Lord. That's the part that the Holy Spirit plays during the tribulation period. His part isn't nearly as large as it is during the the, uh, church age or the dispensation of grace, but it is nonetheless a part that's played and a role that's needed. So what part does the Holy Spirit play in the millennium then? Okay, we have the tribulation period, that period of time between uh, the rapture and the revelation. That's seven years there. But but what happens then once the the revelation takes place, once Christ returns and the millennium kicks off? Well, turn if you would to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. We're going to read through verse 32. This is a prophecy that we read, and it's, um, it's pretty interesting, really. <clears throat> Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I promise it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's a little tricky, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Okay. You heard pages rustling. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And this is where if you're still rustling pages, you're quiet because you don't want nobody to know it. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> okay. I think my wife just got there so we can start. <laughs> you say, why'd you do that? Because I don't want the rest of you to feel bad because she probably had it a long time ago. But I did see her turn her page. I don't know why. Maybe she didn't have it. I'll have to check her later. Okay, so anyway, Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward. That's talking about after Israel shall have returned to their own land, after they'd already been there. Now, that's going to happen before the millennium, by the way. They're going to have returned because during the tribulation period, they'll be being addressed and dealt with as a nation by God again. As a matter of fact, they're going to be judged by God as a nation. And man, he's going to use the Antichrist to do that. It's going to be pretty ugly. Matter of fact, they're going to be chased all around and there's going to be a lot of them die and it's going to be rough. Uh, It's going to be real bad. Now, so Israel will have already returned together. They've already been back in the land before the millennium. But he says, and it shall come to pass afterward, okay, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, also, excuse me, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, And I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And the Lord hath said, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, verses 28 through 30 
it, this was partially fulfilled at Pentecost. Remember they started breaking out, talking in tongues, and all kind of things were happening. Some have said, well, Joel chapter 2 was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, but that's not really the case. It wasn't completely fulfilled. Now, you've got to understand that when you look at, um, <clears throat> when you look at uh, prophecy, prophecy is often has a two-fold type of meaning. It'll show up here, and then it's, it's still looking forward to some other fulfillment, a complete fulfillment. So in this case, there's the partial fulfillment in Acts chapter 2, and, and then it, the final fulfillment and complete fulfillment when we arrive here at the millennium. Now, <clears throat> we look at verses 30 through 31. Those verses kind of indicate to us and help us to understand that this could not have been fulfilled yet because in this particular case, he says, and I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, of course, is the day that the Lord ultimately, uh, it, it's, it's right prior to and it's throughout the millennium because a day is as a thousand years and we have a thousand year millennium. And so right as we uh, approach it, we're going to see these, uh, uh, these amazing Type of thing, the the, the you know the sun turned uh, excuse me the moon turned into blood and all of those things happening, a fulfillment of Joel chapter two, <clears throat> that didn't happen before Acts chapter two, it didn't happen, you know we saw people speaking in tongues and some of those kind of things God was again establishing uh, it, everything would have been in place if the Lord would have returned to take His place on the throne. And we would have seen some of these other things take place that we're reading about, the you know, blood and fire and pillar of smoke and all of that, but it didn't happen. And the Jew rejected Christ, and he turned to the Gentile, and we have the church age, and now we're awaiting a complete fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, and uh, it will happen. So... <clears throat> I want you to look at something else that I think is important, too. Um, wow, let me see something here. I want to skip that because of time. Um, <clears throat> I, want you to, I want you to look at, when you think about the millennium, one of the things that stands out in our mind is this, is the righteousness that will prevail. I mean, think about that for a minute. We're going to have the righteous judge on the throne ruling and reigning. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to have some righteousness ruling in our world today? I mean, it's amazing to think about. But I'll tell you what, turn, turn to Revelation 21 through 3 because one of the reasons why righteousness will prevail during the millennium, and that's going to be one of the great marks of the millennium, is the righteousness of it all. Just, it's a righteous rule, righteous reign. And just amazing, really. Um, <clears throat> let's just look at that. One of the reasons is because Satan will be bound for that thousand years. Well, that's one big factor right there. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. I, I think we all know what thousand years that is, right? That's the millennium. That's the thousand years that Christ will be ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And verse 3, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more 
I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know why this is, it probably has nothing to do with this, but I look at that and I, he, he says, he's casting the bottom split and he shut him up and set a seal upon him. It's almost like, I kind of think about that tomb, you know, that Jesus went into and they rolled the stone there and sealed him up. Couldn't hold him there. Satan will be held tight. He ain't getting out. You know what I mean? I like that. I don't know why, just kind of that kind of, kind of there. But anyway, and, caught, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and sealed, uh, uh, set a seal upon him he sh- that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So the, 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 the passage teaches us that, of course, during the church age, he's out there reeking and <clears throat> raining uh, havoc on us. The rapture takes place, and the Holy Spirit leaves along with the church. The devil and evil just go berserk during the tribulation period, not having the, the dam, so to speak, holding back the tide. And, uh, and, 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 and all of a sudden, it's, it's horrible. Antichrist rises the power, the Jews being chased through the wilderness again, and a mess. And then Jesus Christ returns, and Satan is... Locked away now. He's put in the bottomless pit and sealed there. 1,000 years without the devil. 1,000 years without him igniting our flesh. And Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne righteously. A righteous rulership. One of the reasons, because Satan himself will be bound but also, I believe, due to the Holy Spirit promoting righteousness in the kingdom. I think the Holy Spirit's going to have a part, obviously. We, we recognize him uh, having a part in the dispensations throughout. He's certainly going to have a part there, but he's going to be promoting righteousness. Now, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 32. We're, we're almost done. We really are. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But anyway, we're getting there. But I want to focus on this for just a few minutes because I really like this thought of a righteous reign. And man, what a wonderful thought that is. And look at Isaiah 32, verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, and again, we, we've already noted the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, so the Holy Spirit's definitely involved in all this. We, we see that. But I think he's also going to be tied to this righteous reign as well. But notice what it says here about this king. Isaiah 32, 1. Behold, a king shall reign in what? Righteousness. He's going to reign in righteousness. I mean, I think that's, that's how the, I guess, uh, every ruler in the history of humanity is ruled, in righteousness, right? Of course not. Not even close, right? But boy, I'll tell you what, in this case, Isaiah 32, we see a prophecy talking about the ruler of, that, of, of the millennium, and it says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. A king shall reign in righteousness. Hey, that king is Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to note the outcome of his righteous reign. Look, if you would, just a few verses down in verse 17 and 18. I'm just going to focus on those two verses. But notice the outcome. It's really kind of, it's neat. <clears throat> Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. 
And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, this is what a righteous ruler and a righteous reign produces. I mean, the work of righteousness, he says, is peace. The effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance. I guess when I see this and I, I go to verse 18, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. It sure seems to me that righteous leadership always promotes peace, quietness, and safety. We see that. Now here's what I want to ask you. Because see, I believe that when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ ruling in righteousness on the throne, I think that every leader, I don't care who you are, I don't care what gender you are, if you are a leader today, you need to ensure that the fruit of your leadership is promoting these qualities and characteristics. I'm telling you that you can tell me you're a leader, but if there's only confusion and chaos around you, you're not leading. Listen, I'm telling you that the bottom line is the work of righteousness is peace. What are you working at? What are you striving at? What is your main goal? You ought to want peace. Peace in your own life. Peace in the life of your family. Peace in the life of your ministry. Peace in the life of your church. Man, we ought to be striving for peace in the world even. Now listen, the Bible is very clear. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And then in Romans 12, 18, an interesting verse. Notice he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. <clears throat> there are times you can't live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, do your very best to do so, but every once in a while, that may not work. Every once in a while, you may have to throw down a little bit. This idea in the world today that you can't throw down, you can't protect what's yours, you can't stand up for what you believe, unless it's something that everybody else tells you you're allowed to? That's not right. You know, it's the old adage, you know, well, the Bible says, you know, turn the other cheek. Well, you want to talk about doctrine? Let's talk about doctrine. That's a millennial doctrine. That's found in the uh, chapter 5 and 6 of the book of Matthew. That's not even the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying going around, be a brawler. That pastor, I'm not allowed to be a brawler. I can go buck wild on a lot of you, but I'm not allowed. You know what? You could go buck wild on a lot of people too, couldn't you? But that's not how it works. That's not how we as believers are supposed to act. However, there's a time to fight, just like the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3. So there is a time. But the bottom line is, is that if you're ruling in righteousness... And you know what? You're striving for peace always. You want peace. Man, there's nothing good comes out of conflict and strife. Man, you want peace. That's the best for all of us. Now again, it, Jesus Christ is going to rule on the throne, but I guarantee you this, he won't compromise to ensure peace. Mm, mm. Did you hear what I said? 
He's not going to say, well, you know what? You and I don't agree, and what you're saying, I know that you don't want to do what I've asked you to do, and I know it's not, but the, just to keep peace, okay, fine, go live your life the way you want to live it. I'll live my life the way I want to live I guarantee you Jesus ain't going to do that. No, that's not how it works with him. You know what? Leadership can't always bend the, the, the people they're leading just to keep peace. Sometimes you've got to stand up and say, I'm sorry. It's the way it is. It's up to you. You make your decision. You know what? In your home as a parent, you've got to make that choice sometimes. Yeah, you want peace with your kids, but your kids got to have it based on what you claim is required and necessary. This is how it's going to be. And you've got to use common sense, mind you. But you got to do that. And it's the same in the church. A pastor can't just let everybody do whatever they want. If I did that, this would be a total chaotic place. Everybody would be going crazy. There's got to be order. And a home needs order. A marriage needs order. A business needs order. Man, the world needs order. But boy, it should be righteous leadership that's focusing and striving for peace and ultimately strives for, as it says here, quietness and assurance or, or safety, confidence. Man, I mean to tell you, that's what we're looking for. We don't have leaders like that in our world today, do we? It doesn't seem that way to me. They've got every turn. Oh, oh, I know there's one bad person in the world right now. I know that. But let me tell you something. We've got a lot of leaders that are more than happy that this is going on. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not righteous leadership. Righteous leadership ought to be striving for peace, but not at the cost of compromise, mind you. You've got to be careful with that. It's just a, it's a strange thing. I love the fact that Jesus is going to rule and reign. I want him to come back. Now, some of you young people, I know you've got some things to do yet, and that's okay. But I'm telling you what, I'm getting to the point now where I want him to come back. I mean, any time's fine with me. Man, I mean, like, come on back. Come quickly, Lord. Because you know what? I want that kind of rulership. I want to live under that kind of leadership. I want him leading and guiding. It's funny. I don't need to lead and guide. I'll be more than happy to submit to his leadership. Man, I love that. I can't wait for that day. Because then we'll all get along a lot better. And if we don't, he's got a rod to take care of that. He's going to deal with that kind of attitude. That's what the Bible teaches. He might be ruling in righteousness, but he's got some princes that are judging. And he, the Bible says, rules with a rod of iron. Wow, that's a pretty strong rod. It's interesting that he says about children that we're to use the rod, and then in the millennium, he's got a rod of iron. Isn't that interesting? There's nothing by coincidence in the Bible. Nothing. But I just, uh, man, I, I love that idea of rulership, that righteous rulership. And that peace that comes through that leadership. Just that, that, I just, I love that peace that he talks about. And I love that quietness. It's funny, in the men's conference, and we're going to close, but in the men's conference, there was one point where I said, okay, we're not going to have an altar call. We're just going to, in our seats, pray to ourselves to the Lord, basically. Just a moment of silence. Man, sometimes silence is deafening. People don't like silence today. When's the last time you walked around the block without earbuds in? When's the last time you didn't need your music on in your car? When's the last time you were okay with quiet? Quietness is one of the wonderful blessings of righteous leadership. 
We live in a world where there's never any downtime. You say, well, I sleep. Yeah, but then you're probably dreaming. But the fact is, is that there's always stuff around us all the time. And that's why the Bible says we need to go to that secret place. Because it's a place where it's quiet. We talked about that a few weeks back, how important that is. Well, anyway, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for some righteous leadership. Gentlemen, are you a righteous leader in your home? Are you perpetuating peace amongst your children, your family? Quietness? Security? Hey, you're a boss at work? Are you, you, you ruling with righteousness? Bringing peace to the office or peace to the, the business? Or is it always upheaved? And we've got to be striving for that. Quietness. People getting along with one another. Working together, that's what Jesus Christ will do. The world will be a better place because of his righteous reign and rulership. We have to work at that. Constant battle. Constant battle in our flesh especially. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you do. Lord, help us all to be better husbands, better fathers, better mothers, better employees, employers. Father, better Christians and better church members and, Father, just better family members. Lord, may we always seek to rule in righteousness, and anytime we have influence, may we influence in our righteousness, using it, Father, to bring peace, to bring quietness, to promote stability and security, confidence. Thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to be, just to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like in the millennium. Lord, as hard as we try, we're not going to always make it happen. We're going to fail you, especially in that area. But help us, Lord, never to stop trying. And Lord, may we always look forward to the day when you will be on the throne. That'll be a wonderful day as you rule in righteousness. Bless this time of invitation in Christ's name, amen.